0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: The Grind. Thanks to Tennis Direct, your number one online tennis store with great prices and fast delivery.
0: Go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au Use the discount code firstserve 10 hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the grind my name is Roddy Reynolds and today I'm joined by Hall of Famer and Grand Slam champion turned commentator and administrator South Australia's Mark Woodford Mark hello welcome to the grind thank you for coming on it's been a busy start to the year for you I believe Roddy it has Uh, it's uh, it's great to sit down and 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 have a chat with you and uh, yeah busy
1: start Uh, look at coming down to Australia it um you know that happens for me on a on a yearly basis coming back for the summer of tennis and you know accommodating with you know what is really the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow isn't it the Australian Open and uh, you, you know a couple of weeks down the track and you know the tour continues on but uh yeah look it was a it was a busy time nice time to be home and uh yeah, you know, great, great to see
0: a couple of champions crowned uh, Australian Open winners again. Of course, you would make your trips to Melbourne uh, some years ago as a player, but you've since transitioned out of that role. Um, We hear and see a lot of your commentating work now. How did you go about transitioning from uh, Mark Woodford, the player, to Mark Woodford, uh, I guess, on the mic? Uh, Yeah, and I I was just smiling then, thinking, yeah, that uh, many years ago as as a
1: player, I I was reminded of it um, when I was down in Adelaide and I I did a podcast, and it was thrown out to me in Adelaide that it was like 35-plus years ago when uh, I I won the tournament there, which, I mean, is crazy when you're talking about that long ago, 35 years. You you did it it twice, didn't you? Yeah, did it twice in Adelaide, which, look, is a, I I mean, I think for any tennis player, if they have that opportunity to win their own tournament played in their hometown, I mean, it is, I, I think regardless of what level, Event that it is, Uh, and Adelaide was, you know, at a two fifty level. It it really hasn't, you know, had the opportunity to go up any higher in the category. But um, look at, I mean, I that that was phenomenal. Uh, Back to back years to. To to uh, win that tournament, but I I love going home and I've yeah look I've I've remained involved in kind of more on on the more recent time the administrative side, um, working with the ITF and um, but before that working uh, you know the tournament in Adelaide I was the tournament director there for a number of years before that event moved on up to Brisbane and then we had no tournament in Adelaide at all and that really riled me up, along with Darren Cahill, along with Roger Rashid, um, Ali McDonald, who is um, an administrator on the ground in Adelaide. And, you know, look, probably in particular for for Rash, Killer, and myself, the three of us, we all grew up in Adelaide, you know, having the benefit of going down to Mount Drive and seeing this international world-class tournament that brought in overseas players, sometimes marquee names, not just on the men's side, but also the women's. And, that's how I, I feel like I was. Uh, it helped create me or gave birth to my 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 early part of my journey. That I was exposed to seeing competition, and I, you know, loved it. I, I mean, I I was a ball kid for at the tournament for many years, and so to, to all of a sudden go into this period where we weren't hosting uh, an international tournament. That really was a lot of irritation for the three of us. And uh, so we banded together and we ran the World Tennis Challenge, um, which was an exhibition that ran for almost 15 years. I mean, my involvement lasted about 10 years and we we owned the event, we financed the event, we ran it um, alongside of the state government, you know, was really focused on trying to keep tennis alive in South Australia, because I think a lot of states in Australia, we need tournaments, we need world-class tournaments with players coming down so that it gives birth to other players like myself uh, at a young age, that they can go down and see Potentially, some of their heroes, childhood heroes, and perhaps that that gives them the the idea that they can actually become world class players as well. We're pretty proud of our of our bloodline. I, I know my wife has, you know, said uh, <laughs> um, Adelaide seems to be the the biggest country town in in Australia, but because everyone seems to know what you're doing, but um, you, you know, we we we've held our weight. I, I think as far as producing players, um, our player development program has has been strong. It continues to to be strong. Leighton Hewitt probably is, you know, of the more recent times of of a, a great champion. And, uh, um, yeah, it's like we passed the baton along. So, you know, we're, we're just looking for that next player from Adelaide to, uh, to come on up and, uh, you know, maybe see if they can... Break some of the records that Leighton has held for for quite some time.
0: That it certainly takes some doing. If we touch on your role as an administrator with the World Tennis Challenge there in Adelaide, what was your path then to finding your way onto the the board of the ITF? And was that always something you had a thirst for that administrative capacity? To wind it back a little bit, when I when I stopped playing, when I retired, all
1: I wanted to do was to just have time off. I wanted to break away from the the routine, the schedule. A schedule is what we live by the four slams and you've got the davis cup competition and then your your calendar your schedule is built in underneath of those events and you know particular you know the 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 third and fourth week of january you're playing the australian open um the last week of may first week of june you're at roland garros last week of june first week of july wimbledon and and so on with us open last week of august first week of september so i couldn't wait to actually not have a schedule, not have to get up and look at what I was going to consume as far as as food um, for the day to fuel my body. Uh, how many to make sure that the hours that are on the practice court, the hours in the gym, trying to maintain a fitness level. I just wanted to like not have any of that. Uh, you know, I played tennis for a professional for eighteen years, so I, you know, when I hung my racket up, I probably stepped out of it I just wanted to have a breather um I couldn't wait to not have to go to the gym <laughs> um uh but but you know look my wife and I we had kids um you, you know within uh, a couple of months of retiring you know our first baby came around our, our daughter and you know if anyone of, of uh, who's who's listening out there and parents, Boy, you, you know, you go into a schedule once you have kids. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of swapped from a sporting schedule into a real family schedule that, you, you know, you're, you're having to feed your kid by a particular time, make sure that you're changing their nappy by at a particular time as well. And, but, but look, it was, it was very different. But I, I just gave myself. A, some breathing space away from tennis and I, I certainly had the luxury of not having to race into choosing what I wanted to do next. I knew that I wanted to remain in tennis. I knew that I wanted to try and remain close to Australian tennis. John Newcomb, who was my Davis Cup captain, uh, he, he was still commentating for Channel 9 Australia. He had mentioned to me that he felt that it, it would probably be a, a good transition. He asked whether I had any interest in in moving into commentary, and, and I think what excited me about that option was I didn't have to. I did, it's like I didn't have to train, train as in physically. I might have had to train mentally, but I didn't have to go to the gym. I didn't have to jump onto the tennis court and make sure my forehands and backhands were working. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I could kind of you know it wasn't it wasn't overly demanding physically and. I could go to, I think Channel 9 had three of the Grand Slams at the time. I got to work with great champions John Newcomb, Fred Stolly, Tony Trabert, all world number ones in their own right. Uh, and I got to go back to the Grand Slam. So, I was really excited about that, and and I think also it, on top of it was I was actually looking at the Australian Open. I, I felt like that you know maybe maybe if I if I carve my teeth on perhaps getting involved in the the tournament in Adelaide first that that might help springboard me into you know maybe uh, you, you know look I, I I certainly had thoughts on. The tournament director role of the Australian Open, you know, I thought that might be a nice transition for me. You know, coaching at the same time. I mean, I I felt like that. You know, I was a thinking man's player on the tennis court myself. That I might be able to help. Um, you know, some younger players be able to take their journey and and make their transition into pro level. So I had some options available. And again, I feel like the success I endured um, as a professional just allowed me to that space. I, I wasn't financially in a rush to make a decision. I, I did well from my sport. I, I had achieved a bit. So there was my my name resonated. Um, it still had some some visibility. You know, I took that as a as a real blessing, you know, that I didn't have to race out and quickly choose something, was able to spend time with my family here uh, in, in the US raising some kids and still keep my foot in the water, so to speak by commentating and eventually, you know, moving into um, the, the tournament director role at the South Australian Open. Um, but look at the years down the path, um, you know, the, the Australian Open role didn't materialise. You, you know, they they went ahead with Steve Wood and Craig Tiley, um, who, who both have done a phenomenal job in that area. You, you know, yeah, uh, probably about nine, ten years ago, uh, space became available at, at the ITF um, with the new role of the, the, the new president, Dave Haggerty, um, was able to, to uh, take over from the former president, uh, Francesco Ricci Biddy. You know, Dave had reached out to me. He knew me as a player and he reached out to me and asked whether I had any interest in actually trying to help Davis Cup. Uh, Davis Cup was really suffering at the time. It was uh, the image of Davis Cup wasn't um, as strong as it was in my career. And, you you know, he was willing to actually make some changes. He he felt that there, there was an opportunity for Davis Cup to actually... Uh, change and and move forward, be, perhaps um, you know, become what it used to be to the golden generation. Um, you know, to see if they could give it a, a lift because it it just seemed to be falling behind uh as far as the format and the commitment from other players. So um Davis Cup has always been very, very dear to me. And uh um, you know, I I was you know, pretty happy to actually step into that role as a board member and Davis Cup committee member.
0: Thank you for taking me to where I would have liked to go here, which is the Davis Cup. And it's obviously something that there's a lot of love for the Davis Cup in Australia in particular. And you yourself are a big part of that history. And I think that uh, what probably gets lost in some of the Davis Cup conversation is the fact that it might not have been some people prefer obviously the old format and that might have been wonderful but it was probably dying a slow death and change was inevitable cosmos came on board and uh recently it's been announced that cosmos are now jumping out and so looking forward from where the davis cup is 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 the goal to take davis cup back to its glory years or is there more of a forward looking emphasis on what comes next how would you like to see the Davis Cup, you know, in in the near future?
1: I, I would love to see Davis Cup, you, you know, remain as a, a key factor in in a player's schedule, and it's the same for the Billie Jean King Cup for the women. Yep. But the Davis Cup has probably had a bit more presence um, in, I, th- I think, the tennis season over time. A, a, as you mentioned, it it started to just lose its glory, its its position in tennis. Tennis has has become so financially sound for and i'm talking at tour level it makes it difficult for some players to actually commit to playing for their country when there are riches for them to play on the atp tour the time commitment in the old format uh, it penalized uh, some of the players and and i'm not talking about some of the grand slam nations i mean australia we do davis cup exceptionally well i i so wish that there were you know there's there's 140 plus nations that play davis cup if only they could do it, run Davis Cup as well as what we do when we host a home tie. But sadly, that's not the case. Sadly, you know, there are only four nations that are Grand Slam nations, have that status. And so they don't have the income. They don't generate all of the income that can go back into, you know, their country's Davis Cup aspirations. Um, you know, there are many countries that that don't even run uh tour events. Um, and they're really reliant upon the ITF to actually generate income from the Davis Cup competition for the ITF then to actually take those proceeds and filter it back to those countries who are really financially poor a- as well as tournament poor. Um, they may have a, to- a play development program, and but they, they, they don't have a, a way of generating income to actually support that player development program. And that's where they rely upon the ITF to uh, release those funds back to those countries so that they can keep tennis alive. I, I, I do hope that that Davis Cup can, you know, remain one of the the, the crown, uh, one of the crown jewels in men's tennis. Um, uh, you, you know, look, I, I, I was at a luncheon, Uh, during the uh, back end of the Australian Open and uh, it was uh, was called the IC Luncheon. They were honouring Ken Rosewell and and I think it had been 70 years since he'd won his first Grand Slam. Uh, Rod Laver was in attendance. Neil Fraser was there, Paul McNamee was in attendance, a number of other past Davis Cup players as well. But of that older generation, and I'm talking of Neil Fraser, Ken Roswell, Rod Laver's time, you know, the the tennis tour was very different. It was actually very sparse. There weren't that many tournaments for them to play. It actually struck me at the luncheon when they all got up and spoke about Ken Roswell's career. All of them spoke about a Davis Cup connection and yeah. how important it was for them, which is absolutely brilliant. But I guess what I'm trying to point out is there wasn't a whole lot of tennis around at that time. Um, they 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 played the four slams. They play a handful of other tournaments. I mean, travel, getting to and from tournaments around the world at that time, traveled with great difficulty. It, it was so difficult to get from place to place. But Davis Cup held a very high position in in our sport then. But now that it's become, you know, so developed, the ATP Tour is um, doing an amazing job. Um, You know, I think the Davis Cup, for some players, it really gets lost because their goal is to actually build their own ranking up to financially secure their future by playing other tour events because they don't actually receive, you know, that much payment from their country to play Davis Cup, they don't get to boost their ranking a- at all. You're playing for the love of your country, a- and so I'm I'm hoping that maybe you know in the with with the injection of finances into the Davis Cup, thanks to when Cosmos were were on board, and unfortunately they're they're not you know associated with the Davis Cup from uh, 2023 onwards. The ITF will run the competition. It will run it well this year. It will run it well in years to come. But I do hope that Davis Cup can. Look, that there are some some changes. And, and as you pointed out, Roddy, not everyone, and certainly not in Australia, because we love the way that the Davis Cup, the way that we did Davis Cup. But there are many other countries that support the change that came about you know nearly 75 percent of the countries voted for the change you, you, you know so i i hope that they continue to support the change and that davis cup as i said can remain something that is in a resume i know it's in my resume uh about davis cup victory uh, and so is you know those those times and i think even behind me if uh you know i know that you can see me on camera that um you know my davis cup trophies are are behind me in, in my uh, office here. I mean, they're very dear to me and I hope that their careers, you know, can certainly be founded by playing for your country in the Davis Cup
0: competition. I did see those uh, those trophies. They did not go unnoticed. I think that I think that one of the the harder things about the Davis Cup is that Australians look at it through such a passionate lens, with so much joy and so much, so many fond memories of it all, and and it's hard to probably understand at times that there are still a hundred plus nations that yeah. look at this, and uh, although we might have been passionately against the change, the fact that there were so many for it probably says a lot about the ecosystem of tennis, which yeah. is also something I do want to ask you about it, and 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 that is it's a bit of a broad one, but if with your lens or your hat of an itf board director what what do you take of the status of the itf tour at the moment are the resources being optimized and are where where can it sort of improve one of the things i look at at the moment in the in the global world of sports is that if you look at the golf scene obviously remarkably different but the golf scene was sort of had its status quo for quite some time and then along came this one of a better term and existential threat And then suddenly uh, there was this remodeling and everyone kind of seems to be on board with what's happening in the golf world at the moment at least on yep. the PGA Tour side of things. What I wonder when it comes to tennis is, is it time for a bit of a shake-up of the status quo? Although there's absent an existential threat at this point, but it does seem like in terms of other global sports, perhaps more tennis players could be making a better living if there was a bit of a shake-up at the moment.
1: It's a, it's an interesting question that you pose. I think probably what you're you know, alluding to is how many players should be making a living on the on the professional tennis tour. I think it's a question that has been you know sitting there for decades. Look, I, I remember... You know, the the time that I was partnering John McEnroe, and over about the 12 month period that I had the, the joy of partnering him, it was something that he would be unafraid to actually, you know, just was a topic of conversation. He would be speaking to the powers that be, um, you, you know, the ATP tour, as well as back then it was called the Men's International Tennis Council. And, you know, about how many players should be making a living. And of course, back then, prize money purses were a lot smaller than what they are now. And, and of course, I think the ATP, probably on the eve of COVID, they, they went through and, and made a, an announcement of changes, sweeping changes that basically probably kept, you, you know, they, they started to take care of the upper echelon of the men's tour. And it really was about a, a 250 number that I think they kind of looked at as to players who are not losing money, not saying that everyone is making money. Obviously, in the upper echelon, the, the wealth is great, but but down between 150 to 250 or 300, should those players be making at least coming out in the positive at the end of the year. It probably sent the the tours into a bit of a turmoil. And I say tours because the ITF, they look after the World Tennis Tour. It used to be called the Futures Tour, now called the World Tennis Tour, but that left a huge amount of players that came under the umbrella for the ITF to actually in the World Tennis Tour to try and manage. And of course, then COVID comes around and all of a sudden tournaments are disappearing. Players can't travel. And I think in, in Australia in particular, probably all of Asia, Oceania region probably hit the hardest because those players had travel restrictions. There were no tournaments for them to play anyway. The, the tournaments that were being Played out were basically in Europe, some in the Middle East. It, it really affected COVID has has affected tennis uh, in, in a big way, but I think it what where it hurt the most was in that the lower regions of tennis, the World Tennis Tour, because they're the ones that are. That are really, they're not making a whole lot of money. They're, they're at the beginning of their journey. I'm pleased to say that the, the ITF have actually tried to step up and increase the, the tournament load, the, the amount of tournaments that are, that are played in 2022 and what will be played in 2023 is a, a great deal more than what it was in say 2018 and, and 2019. I think probably the next question that, that we have to work out is, you know, should those tournaments, uh, in, in the men's category, we have just two, categories that that are, there are $15,000 tournaments and $25,000 tournaments and you know I think the the ITF has done a great job in trying to increase the amount of $25,000 tournaments and probably the next step is you know do do we try to expand them even more so that it provides an opportunity for players who are competing at that level to perhaps at least survive but to give them an opportunity to actually transition on up to the ATP Challenger and ultimately
0: to the ATP Tour. Absolutely, I think one of the things that sort of comes out from that is is the the evident struggle that players have at the World Tennis Tour level or, or futures for the old slang. Part of that that I that we have heard um, recently. And I was speaking to uh, Christian Harrison recently, and he sort of explained a um, situation. This was on the Challenger Tour actually, but he was kicked out of a a hotel that he was staying at for two weeks. He had a tournament week one, then tournament week two, booked 14 days of accommodation for the first tournament in the first week, got knocked out in qualies or the first round either way early on. And then the tournament said, Hey, we need your room for five days. You can have it back for week two. That for us spawned a whole discussion on things like the PTPA. But what I think comes from that is that at times the players probably need people to stand up for them. RTF has done that recently, or made a change recently mm-hmm. to help promote that. And, and you're on the chair of that for the men's side. Could you yeah. tell us a bit about the World Tennis Tour Committee? Sort of how it came about, what the goal is, I guess. Because for anyone that doesn't know, the committee I, I believe is is born out of an idea for more player support and a player voice. But just how you do that when you've got uh, players in the rankings from say 300 to 1500 or 3000, that's not necessarily an easy question. But that's something for you to for you to tackle.
1: Probably the 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 committee. You know, look, there's a player a player council. Uh, that that belongs in the, the on the ATP tour and so with my role as a, a board member and you know look these issues come across um, you, you know to the board you, you know we we're approving and and you know sometimes not approving you know changes you know you're always trying to approve positive changes I'm not going to try and take any credit primarily for myself, but I I know that I generated the the, the discussion about having a committee for these players at this level. They didn't have a voice, and yet... There is such a a wide expanse, as you pointed out, Roddy, got guys from 350 in the world and you've got guys that are ranked 1,200 and and they're playing clearly, you know, trying to get into the same tournaments and and yet they're visiting certain countries and what seemed to be a set of rules were different in a certain country. They'd go off to a a different city, um, you know, two weeks later and there'd be a different set of rules. Um, it, we'd have like resort series tournaments, you, you know, in Egypt uh, in, in particular, um, they, they run, you know, maybe eight weeks back to back six weeks to seven to eight weeks back to back tournaments at a resort, El uh, Sheik. And it's not necessarily run by the Egyptian Tennis Federation. It might be run by the people who run the hotel resort itself that have tennis courts. And so their main business is actually to make some money. And so we'd have these instances, as you highlighted with Christian, and and they do exist even up in in the challenger level as well. But, you you know, they they would be asked to leave or there would be instances of of players in order to actually defray costs. They would stay elsewhere uh, away from the official hotel that is connected to the tournament. But once that tourna- the tournament found out that they weren't staying in at the resort, their ability to pick up practice balls disappeared. Uh, practice court time was was uh, non-existent. And, look, we, we just can't have that at, at this level. These are the guys. They, these guys are the hungriest probably of anyone because they, they want to be able to get out and and spend so much time on the practice court. Um, they're hungry to just play matches so in in the end I said we, we, we need to we should be developing a committee so that you know the players have a voice because we kept hearing from individuals that um they felt like the ITF were not hearing anything or they were very selective in in how they responded to uh, some of the requests and and uh so I w- I was really thrilled that the administrators who look after the world tennis tour, I agreed to develop a, a men's and women's committee. And they wanted to try and have representatives from, rather than ranking, they wanted to have a representative on the panel from every region Asia, Oceania, uh, North America, South America, um, the Middle East. And it wasn't so much worrying about the, the ranking, but just so that a player could, because again, in regions, you, you know, some of those tournaments, ran somewhat smoothly um and in other regions that that they weren't running smoothly so um look this committee was created i i do i am the chair it, it is uh, humbling to hear some of these players when when they jump on the committee they're so relieved that they are able to chat and check in with, with the ITF um uh, about the tournaments and and really the ITF that's their goal is to try and you know run as many tournaments as possible, but to maintain the standards, because this is this is a pathway for these players to the next step to trying to get to the Challenger Tour, to get to the ATP Tour, and eventually to play Grand Slam. So um, we're, we're thankful. The ITF is is very uh, pleased with um, the committees on the both men's and women's. Mary Pierce heads up the women's committee, but to, to provide voices for these players so that. They can go out and discuss with their, not just with their their fellow countrymen, but at, when they are travelling through different regions, that they can compare the tournaments, the standards, and you, you know I, I think they're, they're again the ITF are doing a a pretty good job in trying to lift the standards and maintain it across the board, so that we're not having instances, as you said with Christian Harrison, where he gets kicked out of his hotel room for.
0: Um, five
1: days until the second tournament
0: starts. I do, I do chuckle a little bit there, but it probably is it is a bit harsh to do so. But um, I suppose, uh, on reflection, you can sort of see the, the somewhat humorous side in it. But it is a, it is a challenge that these players have got to go through. And so, what I what I then wonder is, for a player, I guess within your uh, purview, what can they expect from the panel? Is it is it more advocacy? More consistent open lines of communication. Is it is it something tangible that we're going for? Where it's you know the way the tournament is structured or certain rules around the uh, operation of the event. Is it a combination of these things, or what's the what's the one thing that uh, you'd like players to be able to hang their hat on and say that you know if nothing else, the tour committee is doing this. Should start off and say that it's a, it's a twelve month co- um, commitment, uh, a, a year of of
1: being on the on the committee. Uh, I, I've mentioned that these players as well. It's not like when you're playing on the ATP tour, you are a member of that tour. You're trying to maintain your level. At the, the World Tennis Tour, it's my hope that some of these players, it's just a moment in time. There will be players that may not be able to break 750 in the rankings. Some of them may not get higher than 500 and and, uh, and so on. But ideally, we, we want them to be transitioning through the World Tennis Tour um, so we we just thought that it were a twelve month for those who are willing to to step in for for twelve months we we started out probably having uh, every couple of months uh, some some meetings it's it's now built up that there's an open communication for the players that are that are representing the players that are on the committee you, you know to to have a, an open line of communication with the ITF office and and of course you know social media these days um, you know is. Uh, with, with all of the, the the negativity that that players have to go through when they're losing matches and the, what they're reading uh, social media wise, we're, we're trying to turn it around in, in in a positive light. That you know, getting communication out to the players through social media circles, um, through the ITF website, through their um, the, the entry system that. Um, that their eye pin that they actually have to when they're entering tournaments there if there are any messaging that needs to go out you know through the through the website or just through um, social media so it's it's actually developed and and some of these initiatives have come from the players themselves it's not like it is on the ATP tour where there's a bit more I'm not going to say flexibility but probably the there there is the finances are there for the ATP to try and implement, you know, some some changes and increase the level of of prize money in the tournaments. Again, the ITF is, you know, just on the men's side with these two categories of 15s and, and 25s. But I, I think the the players that that are on the committee, the first couple of years, they um probably discovered that they were certainly pinpointed by their fellow professionals that okay, I need to go and converse with them to get my little argument across or my beef with this tournament and... You know, or my experience, you know, had a negative impact on on my performances, and uh, but I think it's it's kind of smoothed out now. I think these players that are on the committee, they're wearing their position as a badge of honor because they they can actually provide a lot of valuable information to uh, when, when they're off playing, you, you know, their own tournament schedule now. So there are you know changes that are are, are constant. You know, I think probably the relationship with the ITF and the ATP has strengthened over the last probably three to four years when COVID was happening, when the ATP first announced some of their changes. Um, it, it didn't have a, a positive uh, effect on the ITF, on the on the World Tennis Tour level. But, you know, I'm happy to, happy to say that, that the relationship is a lot stronger now and, you know, and, and, and in fact trying to help even the Junior Tennis Tour. You know, spots are being provided for juniors now to actually transition from the junior level into playing world tennis tour and not just skipping over and trying to play up too soon and and too high and actually getting beaten too often and and having that mental uh that mentally affect them there is actually a, a transition phase in place now that i think is is blending in extremely well and um and that that's thanks to the you know, the ATP and the staff that are looking after the Challenger
0: Tour, as well as the staff that are looking after the World Tennis Tour. Well said. Mark, thank you very much for jumping on. I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about this. So it's wonderful to have spent this time with you. From all of us, cheers. And uh, I hope it's not too long until we speak soon.
1: Well, let's hope that we can, uh, you know, I think it was last week, we had a couple of guys uh, win some some Challenger tournaments, Max Purcell and Tanasi Kokanakis. And uh, look, there's a, a bunch of Australians that... Uh, you know us playing down at the world tennis tour level and you know that's that's the goal is to uh you know get the tournaments back up and, and running uh, around australia australasia um so that they have uh a, a spot to play um the, these uh younger players yearning to become uh, another Leighton Hewitt or uh, uh, another Nick Curios and um, I think the the ITF, uh, you know, t- taking this this the, the steps forward. It, it's just um, it's trying to create as many opportunities um, for for players to to realise their dreams. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts. Read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.